Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Happy Easter, everyone. I'm glad that you are here with us this morning. We are here to worship the risen Lord today, just as Christians have been doing ever since that first Easter morning. But as we will soon see in our scripture gospel this morning, many different people went to Jesus' tomb that first Easter for different reasons and had different reactions to what they saw. It's possible that some of you have come here today for different reasons. Some of you might be here because church is where you are on Easter Sunday. Some of you might be here because coming to church on Easter seems like the right thing to do. Some of you might be here because it means a lot to your parents, to your spouse, to your kids that you come here. Some of you might be really hoping that I don't take too long because brunch or Easter baskets or a long drive are on the other side of church and you'd prefer to get to those as quickly as possible. And that's okay. Whatever brought you here, thank you for being here. One thing that we see in the Easter gospel is that no matter what brought the different people to the tomb that first morning, the most important thing was that they came. So thank you for coming. We're here this morning to talk about something unbelievable. We are here to talk about the man, Jesus of Nazareth, who was executed by the Romans and came back to life. That's hard to believe. And if you find it hard to believe, you're not alone. You're not alone here in church today, and you're not alone if we read the gospel story. Jesus' resurrection has been surprising, difficult to believe, hard to understand, and at the same time, world-changing, life-transforming, compelling, and awe-inspiring. I hope this morning that you can catch a glimpse of all of that as we go through the story. So let's turn to the story. Is Catherine going to read it? Are you reading it? Come on up. day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary, Magdal Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon, Peter, and the other disciples, and the, Jesus, and the one Jesus loved, and said, they had taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put them. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, and other disciple, and the other, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked at the strips of linen that were lying, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came running along behind him and went straight to the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus. disciple had reached, who had reached the tomb first also went inside. 
He saw and believed. They still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had risen from the dead. Then, then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look in the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been. One at the head and other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with news. I have seen the Lord, she told them, and that he had and that he had said these things to him. So the disciple whom Jesus loved, or the other disciple, was John, the writer of the story. And this is how you know this story is true. Because they have a foot race. And John says, claims for all eternity that he won the race, which is absolutely something I would have done. Whether I won the race or not, never mind. I couldn't let you out of here without making a terrible joke. We're going to walk through this story to catch the details of what's going on here. But before we do that, I want to talk about two English words that we get from the Greek language. The first is utopia. In Greek, utopia literally means not this place. Utopia is an idea of a place, an ideal place that is perfect, where people live in peace and harmony, where everyone has everything they need to thrive. And most of the time, we think we can make that happen. We look at the problems we have and think that we have the skills and the means to fix them. Science and technology and medicine can bring this about. We can build happy lives for ourselves if we try hard and make the right choices. We can have all the fulfillment that we need. Basically, this concept of utopia makes us think that we can create for ourselves the lives and families and communities and world that we desire. Utopia means that we can eliminate from our experience of life the bad and negative things that cause us hurt, harm, and pain. So we work hard and we make good choices and raise good kids and save and do all the right things in the sure belief that our lives are our own making, and happiness and contentment are within our grasp. But what happens when we go about our lives doing all the right things and a friend, and a friend or family member dies young? Utopia doesn't work anymore. What happens when cancer strikes? Utopia doesn't work anymore. When you're working hard to build a life and a family and your husband comes home and says he's having an affair, he's in love with her, and he's leaving you, utopia doesn't work anymore. What happens when you work hard your whole life? You've saved, you've paid your bills on time, 
and then all of a sudden the economy tanks, you lose your job, your house is foreclosed upon, and you have no idea what you are going to do next. Utopia doesn't work anymore. There are moments in life when we realize that we cannot, through hard work and good choices alone, ensure happiness, safety, and security. We are at the mercy of things and forces greater than ourselves. We can be hurt, we can be harmed, despite all our best efforts to avoid it. Or how about this? What happens when you follow around someone you believe to be the Messiah, the son of the living God? You see him heal the sick. You see him feed thousands with a few loaves and a couple of fish. You see him calm a storm. You see him raise the dead. You believed he would be the one to bring about the kingdom of God, utopia if there ever was one. And you watch as he is arrested, tried, convicted, beaten, and executed. What do you do when the man you thought was the Messiah is killed? Utopia doesn't work anymore. What do you do when utopia doesn't work anymore? You need a new word from ancient Greek. That word is eschatology. Eschatology is about the last things. Eschatology is about what happens at the end. Eschatology is what Easter is all about. And with that tease, let's go back to the gospel story. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Sunday morning, Mary goes to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body. Jesus was crucified on Friday, and his execution was sped up because his body needed to be removed from the cross and placed in a tomb before sundown Friday to keep within the Sabbath law. There was no time on Friday to anoint Jesus' body for burial, and work could not be done on Saturday because it was the Sabbath. So Sunday morning is the first moment that Mary has to go and anoint Jesus' body. As an executed criminal, Jesus' body would have been placed in one of the many tombs reserved for executed criminals for one year until it had, it had decayed and, his bo uh, and then his bones would have been given to his family to be laid to rest in the family tomb. So Mary goes and sees that the stone has been rolled away and she fears the worst. She immediately runs to Peter and the disciples to let them know. There is a particular reason for her panic. Not only is she worried that the body of Jesus has been stolen, but she's worried that it might not be found in time. Ancient Israelites believed that the soul hovered over a dead body for three days and then left on the fourth. That's because on the fourth day, the face had decayed so much that the soul could no longer recognize that it, was, um, that it was that body. So Mary is freaking out because this was the third day. They had that day to find Jesus' body before the task would prove impossible. And at the end of the day, that task would be impossible. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter, or so he says, and reached the tomb first. 
He bent over and looked at the strips of cloth lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. They really should have seen this coming, though. How could they not have known? How could they not have believed? How could they not have understood? There are stories in the Old Testament. Ezekiel goes to a valley of dry bones, and upon prophesying to the bones, they come alive again. Jesus himself predicted it. In the story of the transfiguration on the mount, he tells the disciples, after being transfigured in shimmering white, not to say anything until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. In John, Jesus says that unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it cannot produce fruit. But if it dies, it will spring up and bear fruit. How did they not see the resurrection coming? Simply put, because resurrection wasn't part of their worldview. You know what ancient people thought happened after people died? The same thing we believe. They stayed dead. Here's another question. What did ancient Jews think would happen to the Messiah when he died? That's really not fair. It's a trick question. They didn't think the Messiah would die. They didn't think he would be executed by the imperial overlords. The Messiah was supposed to come and free Israel from oppression and establish a kingdom that would not end. Simply put, they were still in utopia. They weren't ready for eschatology. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. But Mary stood out to, outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. The disciples returned to where they were staying, but Mary lingers. Mary remains around the tomb. She sees a man and thinks he is the gardener. They have an exchange. She thinks that he is the gardener because she's still under the assumption that dead people stay dead. A reasonable assumption. But she is about to be brought into a new world. Because we know that it is the risen Christ she is speaking with. We know it's Jesus. Jesus speaks her name and says, Mary. And in that instance, she goes from utopia to eschatology. Now let me finally say what I mean by all that. Eschatology is all about how God will make things right in the end. Eschatology is about God's vindication of all injustice and all wrong. 
Eschatology is about the ways that God will heal and redeem and fix the hurts and pains we feel in this life. When we are hurt by others' sins and misdeeds, when we are hurt by others' choices, when we are hurt by systems and people that have power and authority, eschatology is how God will make it right. Mary is broken that her Lord and her Savior, that her Messiah, was tortured and killed. Mary is broken that the body has been taken away. Mary is broken that the one who gave her purpose is gone. All of that is redeemed in God's eschatological act. Jesus was unjustly killed by Rome. He wasn't a zealot. He wasn't a revolutionary. He wasn't an insurrectionist. He was a teacher. Unjustly killed by Rome. Jesus suffered death unjustly. He was innocent, he was sinless, and yet he died. God's eschatological act was to bring him back to life. God's eschatology means that even though Jesus died, God vindicates Jesus by raising him from the dead. The hurt, the pain, the bad are not eliminated. Jesus still suffered and died. But God vindicates Jesus through raising him from the dead, makes it right, if you will, and redeems the suffering and the pain by making it the vehicle by which we are saved and healed and made whole. And in speaking her name, Jesus opens Mary's eyes to the way God vindicates the good and righteous parts of this world. Jesus is raised from the dead, and Mary is told to go announce to the disciples that she has seen the Lord. God's act in Jesus Christ was not meant to be a one-time thing, a special favor to his son. Instead, Jesus being raised from the dead is a sign to us that God will be just and good in the face of sin and death. God will be just and good in the face of injustice. God will be just and good in the face of hurt and pain. Jesus being raised from the dead is the new paradigm of how we should view the world. The crucible of lived experience teaches us that utopia doesn't work anymore. We cannot and will not build a perfect life free of hurt and pain. There will come a time when we will be hurt. There will come a time where we will be crushed. There will come a time when we will be broken. But that is not where the story ends. God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and God's eschatological promises to us are to make all things new in the end and to make all things well. This is why we made a flower cross this morning. This is a symbol to us of God's eschatology. Eschatology is a flower-covered cross. It's an instrument of capital punishment being made into a thing of great beauty. God's eschatology has profound implications for our lives. We can risk, we can be vulnerable, we can open ourselves up, and we can dream. What seems impossible in your life now? Maybe it seems impossible to forgive someone, to forgive that person, because the hurt is so great. The wound is so wrong. The harm inflicted was too much. God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and because of that, things that were impossible 
are impossible no longer in God's eschatology. Maybe it seems impossible to ever recover financially from a setback. You worked and worked and worked, and now it all seems to have fallen apart. God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and because of that, things that were impossible are impossible no longer in God's eschatology. Maybe it seems impossible to ever get over the loss of a friend or family member. They died, and when they left, they left a hole in the world. And that hole can never be filled without them. God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And because of that, things that were impossible are impossible no longer in God's eschatology. Maybe it seems impossible that everyone in this county will have a roof over their head. Maybe it seems impossible that everyone in this county will have enough food to eat. Maybe it seems impossible that everyone in this county will have access to good, affordable medical care. Maybe it seems impossible that in this county, everyone will have the opportunity to work. God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and because of that, things that were impossible are impossible no longer in God's eschatology. What seems impossible in your life? This Easter, hear the good news. God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and because of that, things that were impossible are impossible no longer in God's eschatology. God is here, God is moving, and God is working. God is bringing about a new world in our midst. And in the end, God will heal and redeem and fix and make new all the brokenness and pain and hurt we feel. God raised Jesus Christ from the dead as a sign of God's making new of the world and as the beginning of God's making new of the world. This morning we gather to remember and to celebrate the inbreaking, the coming of God's eschatology. And we gather to be asked, to be called, to be welcomed into the new world of God's eschatology. Will you join in? Will you join in the work that God is doing in our midst? Christ is risen. I sprung that on you. Christ is risen. Alleluia. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen.